Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Restaurant Innovator, a podcast from the editors of FSR Magazine. I'm your host and FSR editor, Callie Evergreen, joined by my colleague and co-host, Sam Danley, associate editor. I am excited to introduce today's guest, Rob Ruba, who is a Washington, D.C.-based chef behind the sustainability and vegetable-focused restaurant Oyster Oyster in the Shaw neighborhood, which was awarded a Michelin star in 2022 and was a James Beard finalist in the Best New Restaurant category last year. At this year's James Beard Award ceremony, just earlier this month, Rob took home the coveted National Outstanding Chef Award. So Chef Rob, thank you so much for joining us and congrats on winning the big prize. What were you feeling in that moment? Yeah, I was I was very surprised. I mean, you go there with the idea that you have a possibility to win, but once you hear your name called, um, you're just on cloud nine, just trying to gather some words and make sure I thank everyone and just really blown away for such an incredible win for efforts towards sustainability and the changes we've made in our restaurant. So yeah, it was really unreal. Fantastic. Well, that's that's awesome. And congrats again. Kind of winding back the clock a little bit, would you be able to kind of walk us through your background and career journey and what kind of inspired you to to first pursue a career as a chef? Yeah. So I was just a young kid growing up in a little beach bay town in southern New Jersey. Um, was always fascinated with art and design and originally went to school for art and graphic arts. Um, took a summer job with my uncle cooking and fell in love with it and left that behind. Uh, I was really drawn into the food world. I mean, he had an incredible cookbook collection that I would constantly just find myself reading and just exploring all the wonderful things that are food. Um, and then I just started chasing the best restaurants that I could find in the country, whether that led me into New York, where I worked for Gordon Ramsay at the London Hotel. Then I went out to Las Vegas for a while, where I worked for Guy Savoie, went to Chicago, um, back to New York, Philadelphia, cooked in all these really fine, fancy Michelin star kitchens, really developing my craft and sensibility of what I wanted to do. Um, and then I had a restaurant called Hazel in Washington, D.C., where we were kind of like globally inspired, very meat heavy. <laughs> and uh, I started to think about what my impact as a chef was, um, you know, a long career of thinking I was doing what was considered the best and finding that there's a lot of waste, that there's a lot of mistreatment of both the employees in these restaurants, as well as the folks who bring the food to you. Um, and realized the food I was cooking was far from sustainable. And I kind of had this existential thing if I even wanted to cook anymore or not. Like maybe I was going to leave this career as a whole. And then I realized it's the only thing I really know how to do. That is my voice. Um, so I might as well use what soapbox I do have to stand on and try to flip the script and push um, a better world for restaurants, whether that just be with the food when we talk sustainability or the way we we ourselves operate and the way we treat our staffs and the room we give them to grow so that we have wonderful, amazing restaurants to go and celebrate these milestones at in the future. Because if we don't start making these changes, um, we're not going to have these great places to go to anymore. So tell us a bit about when you really started to pick up on the unsustainable aspects of the industry. Was that like a gradual awakening or was there a big aha moment for you? 
yeah, I think it's gradual and then like a big impact, like Omnivore's Dilemma, you know, reading that when it came out, um, various chefs starting to like lean more like, oh, we're using fish, we're not using meat, like kind of influencing that a little bit. And I've always been drawn to eating this way. I mean, on my days off, I'd be like, let's go eat whoever has the best vegetables, even when I wasn't a vegetarian yet myself. Um, I was just always into that, that style of cooking, that style of food. Um, you know, there's some subconscious things. I have like a bunch of these childhood books that I've taken from my mother, then to read to my kids. And then back there's like environmentalist propaganda that maybe I've been like brainwashed with or something that's still with me. So that very gradual from the early days all the way to now. And then around that time of like 2017, I just like, it became overwhelming. Like, I think it all just hit and I realized like, that's what I needed to do. And that's why I left that restaurant and decided to build Oyster Oyster. And, you know, I needed from the ground up to build something that was going to align with the ethos that I wanted and that I wanted to see in the future where we'd have room to grow. Mm. And so, you know, when you started Oyster Oyster, can you tell us about how you formulated your menu, how you went about that, you know, culinary innovation process with, you know, plant forward sustainability in mind? Yeah, I mean, at first it was, let's just cook vegetables. I want to do that. Then sustainability started to become a very strong, I don't know, anchor for my business partner, Max Kohler and myself. And I mean, it was never anything dogmatic or we were never rigid with any of our ideas because the more we read, the more we started to develop that kept evolving and changing, you know, like early sketches of this menu, there was avocados. And then we're like, there are no avocados in the mid Atlantic. And then, then we realized we're not going to have citrus on the menu. We're not going to have olive oil on the menu. And it was really more like sculpting. We were just taking away until we got to what a sustainable restaurant in the mid Atlantic would be. And we gave up. A lot of things that I was used to in my repertoire, you know, years of cooking sous vide. We no longer use plastic bags to cook in. We don't use cling film. So like eliminating all of that slowly. Um, and then right before we were getting ready to open, 2020 hit and, you know, pump the brakes, stop, figure everything out. And that was a really good like incubator for our ideas and our ethos and everything we wanted to put forward because we only had time to think, right? We only had time to plan a little bit more. And as awful as it was, I'm grateful for that time because I think we built something that was not only more sustainable for the environment, but for myself to not burn out in and just like pushing. Like we really built something that was holistic for both myself and the staff, which is really beautiful. Um, and that's kind of where we are now. We're just like continuing to grow and work on our, you know, like, design of the restaurant, utilizing all LED lighting and like minimal new materials, trying to use some reclaimed stuff and just really build a restaurant that, I don't know, champions the sustainability ethos. Mm. Yeah, I saw that you use like your leftover canola oil um, to make candles for the dining room tables. And, you know, you have like a mushroom tea. Can you tell me about some of like the quirky things that you're doing on that, you know, sustainability? Front? Yeah, we like to call that the arts and crafts department at the restaurant, where we uh, like figure out things. So early on, we were, we decided the oyster shell would make like a great votive for the table. Um, originally we were using like a soy wax to make these candles out of the oyster shells at the restaurant. And then we were like, well, we don't have a deep fryer, but we do do some shallow fry and we have this oil that's left over. 
really lovely cold pressed canola oil out of Pennsylvania. And how do we upcycle that? How do we find something like we can put in our bin and it'll get turned into biofuel, but is there something we could do in the restaurant that would be impactful and at least give our guests, like when they look at it and they hear the story about it, it gives them kind of this mindset of like second chances on ingredients. So we start tinkering with this canola oil and different blends of wax and the oil. And then our farmers like, I have like beeswax. Do you want that? So we started blending beeswax with the canola oil. And now that's turned into our table candles. So it's super cool. Yeah. And, and then, you know, think about the, the seasonality and this deep commitment you have to local sourcing. It, it sounds like setting those parameters around the ingredients and where they come from kind of fosters or maybe even forces you uh, to be more creative. It, it almost seems like a constant exercise in resourcefulness, kind of. Um, is that a fun challenge for you? Do you think it's pushed you to try things you wouldn't have otherwise done? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a positive challenge every day. It's It's taught myself and the team like a tremendous amount of flexibility because something could be in season for only a few weeks and we get comfortable with that and then it's gone and we have to reevaluate how we're going to do it. And when you talk about the creativity, it's some of the most creative and meaningful cooking I've done in my entire career. Uh, you know, winter comes around, we get our farm list and it's like the same five ingredients over and over again. And we're just like, okay, what are we going to do with sweet potatoes? What are we going to do with carrots? And, it really drives us to like think outside the box or the norm of how you would prepare something. Um, it also really drives us this time of year into the summer to build our pantry of different like pickles and ferments and drying different like ingredients that bring excitement and life to those dishes. Because otherwise we're, we're really trying to will this like celery root to be more than it could be. So it's like bringing parts of the rest of the season and kind of really telling a time and place of what it is to be here in the mid Atlantic. Um, and it's really fun for the team too. Cause then they're like, Hey, this carrot, they're getting a little bitter now cause it's getting warmer out. And it's like, all right, well, let's change the set. Let's think how we're going to bring out, how do we best display this ingredient now and, and give it like some purity, but also make it very exciting at the same time. So what have been some examples of some of your favorite, you know, creative dishes that you've, you know, you and the team have, you know, sat down and looked at all the ingredients on your list of, you know, what was in season and made something just kind of wild? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm like so proud of everything we do, but I'll, I'll dial it down for you a little bit. Uh, one, <laughs> one that's super cool is we were, uh, we're getting the Badger Flame Beats in. We juiced those, and instead of using water in the hydration of our bread at the restaurant, we were doing this badger flame beet bread, which is cool. It's like neon yellow. It looks like the best brioche you've ever had, but it's all plants. Um, we'd always have like a couple loaves left over at the end of the night, and we were like, what do we do with this? So we turned that into like this badger flame beet bread miso, which is amazing. It's got like these butterscotch notes in it. It's like super sweet. It's transformed into something completely different it doesn't taste like bread it doesn't taste like beets it's super fun and we've made like a caramel out of that like this badger flame beet miso caramel that that goes on to some fresh berries right now and it's just really neat how something of trying to do like zero waste and think ahead became this amazing new ingredient for us um that was super cool every dish is really great uh we were poaching uh rutabaga earlier in the season and like to like this little 
disc and then the broth left over from the poach was so good. It tasted like the best chicken stock you've ever had, but it's just all vegetables. So that became our warming broth in the restaurant. Um, and guests are like, what is this? It's like, and we're like, it's rutabaga stock. <laughs> just like, blown away. It's like, what is that? I mean, there's more to it, but it's like pretty, pretty simple, you know? And it's, uh, it's just amazing how when you like cook things differently, you can extract these flavors that are familiar, but they're coming from something as humble as a rutabaga. So I'm curious too, where you draw a lot of your inspiration from. Obviously, you know, it sounds like it's a collaborative effort with your team, but you know, who are some other like chefs or restaurants that you think are, you know, doing, you know, plant for sustainability really well? There's, there's a lot. And I'll be honest, I don't really look at other restaurants as much as I used to when I was younger. Um, I love collecting cookbooks and reading them. And I used to be very much in that, but for us to get our mission out, I like kind of put the blinders up a little bit because I want us to stay in our creative space and not subconsciously be influenced by others. I think it's very, um, it's a slippery slope sometimes, but, um, like in the early days, uh, it's now closed, but, uh, Relay in Copenhagen was like a really cool restaurant that was doing, they're not, completely plant forward, but they were doing a lot of amazing things with vegetables and very much in line with kind of how I wanted to build Oyster Oyster with their sustainability efforts. Um, it was a restaurant that definitely inspired me to get to the point of opening. Um, I thought their work was really amazing, but it's no longer there. So I guess we'll try to carry that torch now. Mm, definitely. Um, on your website, I noticed you also talk about your selection of local and organic natural wines. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you vet potential partners, vendors? Um, I know you said, you know, it would be wrong to select a wine that was good for the earth, yet horrible to their employees. Um, so how do you kind of apply that same care, you know, to vetting and then also treating your own team members with care? Yeah, uh, with the wine program, it's always been rooted. We, we would say natural wine in the beginning, and then we were like, well, what does that mean? So then we kind of start throwing around the term responsible wines. Um, you know, we try to work with as many local producers here in the region, which is, which is fun. It's, and they're coming up, and there's some really exciting stuff. But there's also amazing, I mean, wine is like old as can be, right? Like everybody drinks wine. It's everywhere now. And, uh, with our mission, we want to make sure we're, we're showcasing people who are doing it really well, whether that is in, you know, someone in France or someone in Uruguay, you know, it's like, we're going to, we're going to, uh, respect them and show the quality they're doing, but we need to really know the story, right? Are they, are they farming with biodynamics? Are they not actually adding anything to it? Is it organic? Um, all the wines are vegan, so there's no fish bladders or egg to clarify the wines. We're doing it in a very natural way, a lot of unfined wines. And then we really want to know the stories and dig deep and find out, are they actually good people or not? Because there's a lot of folks who are out there making wine. They get a really cool label. It's a really cool color. It tastes really good. And then you find out that they treat the, the folks that come and pick the grapes and help make the wine like crap. And... I just, we don't feel comfortable serving that, you know, there's something wrong with that to lift someone up and showcase them when they can't even lift and showcase the individuals that work for them. So that's really important. And that trickles down to like everything, the farms we work with for our produce too. We want to make sure that 
we know the farmer, we visit the farm, we actually see the practices that are going on there. It's really easy to greenwash everything these days, right? You can say, yeah, this is organic. We're doing X, Y, Z. We didn't get the certification, but trust us. And you go and you find out it's a total, total lie, right? You pull the curtain away. And then we want to make sure we're being true to that too, that we take care of our staff because the worst thing would be is we're, we're saying all this, we're, we're, we're raising our flag. And meanwhile, we're just being awful people. So, I mean, it's really important to our staff's happiness here, um, that they feel heard, that they have a voice, that they're respected, that they're a part of the team. Um, you know, as a partner here, I look at myself more as a, a leader than like a manager. I'm just trying to inspire my team and guide them in the right direction, especially with the amount of experience I've had, rather than just like commanding and directing people. Um, I think we could work together more harmoniously, more holistically. Uh, we wanna make sure our staff is all paid extremely well, what they deserve to be paid. Years of me cooking, living in an apartment with seven other dudes and queens, those days are over, you know, I should be able to have a good life. You know, we closed the restaurant for two uh two weeks every year it's paid so staff is like not worried about who's working their station what's coming in it's like a free mind like we shut the whole thing down everyone go and relax it's a lot a lot easier to do that um there's so many things i just really about just taking care of people let them have like humility and feel good about where they're working and the reason why they're working um the last thing I want is someone to come and want to work with us because we've gotten a Michelin star or I want a James Beard award. I really want to know that you care about sustainability. Uh, it's your reason you're here is for the mission that we're working for and not just myself or something. Uh, that's, that's the biggest thing for me. So, uh, yeah. You know, I feel like sustainability can be intimidating perhaps when you start thinking about all of the different factors that go into a restaurant's environmental footprint. Um, I'm curious, what advice would you give to a restaurant leader who's kind of just getting started on their sustainability journey? Is there a good entry point there for someone who maybe isn't building this from the ground up the way you did? Yeah. I mean, that's always the thing. I say I'm very very fortunate to be able to build it up, right? It's a lot easier to do that than start peeling away from an institution establishment that's been doing it for years. Um, one of the main things I think everyone should start doing is start a compost program. There's tons of municipalities that are out there, programs, companies that can pick up the compost from you. Uh, there's so much valuable food waste that goes into these restaurants. Um, that shouldn't end up in a landfill. I mean, it makes the most beautiful soil. It's giving so much back to the earth and creates a closed loop. And it's really just separating like you do with recycling. It's like, no, that's actually trash. This is soil. We're gonna make soil. It's one of the easiest things you can do. And I feel like once you do that, your mind starts thinking about what's going into each bin. And then you start dissecting that and you're saying, all right, well, we are making a lot of plastic waste here. It's a lot of recycling. A lot of this stuff is coming in plastic, which will probably most likely never be recycled, regardless if you put it in the container or not. Um, and then from there, I think working with a, a, start with a local farmer. Find someone at a farmer's market that has something that you can put into your restaurant. Start communicating with them. Talk about the seasons that are coming up. Really, really learn about what's in season, how they're producing it. And from there, start building that community and step by step, get bigger and bigger. 
But the biggest impact you can probably do off the bat is start composting. And then you'll be able to see what you're actually throwing in the trash, start dissecting what's going in the trash and start eliminating those things and then start supporting your local food systems. Do you think there's like a a business case to be made for restaurants that have a really deep commitment to reducing their environmental footprint? You know, it's like, it's one thing to have an altruistic mission. It's another thing to run a profitable business. Uh, Do those have to be in tension with each other or is there maybe more alignment there than people might expect at first glance? I I would agree with you with the alignment. I'd say at first there might seem like there's a bit more up front, but in the long run, you, you, you mitigate your waste, which you're going to find creative ways to use other things, which are going to lower food costs. Um, you start working with local farmers and being more flexible. You're not paying to import things from all over the world. Uh, that that lowers that. I mean, there's definitely a lot of ways you can make more money by doing this too. There is an incentive there. Um, not to say that I'm, you know, rolling in rolling in the dollars or anything, but I definitely we're we're in a place where we can take care of our staff, take care of our environment, and we're not like watching every penny, right? Um, and there's things that we've eliminated too. Like we don't need to have a linen-like napkin in our bathrooms for someone to dry their hands. It just seems ridiculous that you create this much waste when you can use an air dryer or like a recycled paper napkin to do so. Um, and you know, there's a lot of things like we don't do to-go containers. I mean, hopefully we've designed our menu that you don't want to leave with anything, but we don't have to, even if we bought compostable containers, it's still takes resources to create those. They still get shipped to you. They're still wrapped in plastic. And that's just an added cost at a restaurant that just sits around in inventory that doesn't really have a dollar associated to it. Um, There's also like plastic tasting spoons that everyone likes to use. You can buy very affordable, cheap stainless steel spoons, 12 packs, like a dollar. You can buy multiple of those to taste your food with and rotate and wash those rather than throwing plastic or even compostable ones which is the funniest thing is so many people say, oh, but they're compostable, but then they just throw it in the landfill. Um, lowering those costs, because you pay $12 one time to have tasting spoons, and then you're never buying them again because they're going to last forever. So that's mm. one thing. You know, speaking of, you know, packaging, that kind of begs the question of, you know, what do you do with, you know, delivery or to go are you you know thinking about how to to best you know are you doing any delivery at all with oyster oyster or are you just strictly you got to come in we're, we're strictly come come and eat i think that's it's really the the most sustainable way we can operate uh food world is like as a whole not really that sustainable even like operating a restaurant but trying to do our best because we love going to restaurants um and until cities get on board with like mandatory or having composting like where i live in arlington they pick up the compost every friday that's just part of the system if cities could get on board with that and then regulate what kind of containers to go would be because it is a convenience i mean there is individuals who can't leave their home and need to get food delivered to them um so we want to give them the best options and i think we need to we as consumers can can demand that and it will happen the funny thing is like whether it's all perfect or not, like 10 years ago, you go into any grocery store and look for organic stuff. It was all like 
dedicated this one little aisle and now like every item is organic in a grocery store. You can find an organic version of everything. Even the store brand now has their organic brand. And that is just through consumer demand. So if we keep working towards these goals, making these demands and moving in the right direction, I think uh, we could get there. Hmm. Agreed. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful message there. Um, you know, going back to, uh, you know, you leaving your post at an acclaimed restaurant to build, you know, this restaurant of the future from the ground up, you know, what did that process look like? What are some of the challenges that you faced and how did you overcome those challenges? Yeah. Um, challenges for sure. Uh, initial reaction from friends were a little cockeyed, like, what are you doing? Um, investors who thought we were crazy for what we said, we said, hey, we're going to open this. It's going to be a seasonal tasting menu that only serves pretty much plant-based food, but we're also going to have an oyster on the menu somewhere. Um, yeah, uh, they thought we were we thought they, we were out of our minds. So finding <laughs> that initial investment was a fun challenge. Um, finding a space that made sense for what we wanted to do in, in a restaurant that would have the right footprint that we wanted, that wasn't too big, wasn't too small. Um, yeah. And then just finding the materials we wanted, working with the local potters to produce our plates and building that network of farmers was really difficult because, you know, you're, you're selling them on a promise that you're going to buy from them and you can't buy from them yet. So you got to get real creative how you're going to do that, too. So I was lucky enough to work with a friend who was, has a pickle company here and I would buy produce and start making ferments for the restaurant and paying, paying the farmers up front, being like, look, I promise I'm going to buy from you. So when we do open, please bring the stuff through the door. Um, then just like finding staff that wanted to work in there in the very beginning was very difficult because I don't, first of all, it was a new restaurant. It was kind of a wacky idea. We wanted certain, certain type of folks to work here too. And um, it was a very minimal team. I mean, I wore many hats in the early days. It's the dishwasher. I was the receiver. I was putting together the website. I was cooking on the line, cleaning the line. Um, yeah, it was wild. And then, like I said, in 2020, just about to open and figure out how to get all of our permitting done uh, when everything was closed was an extra struggle. We did our original health inspection via like a Google groups uh, thing. And that was really interesting to have to show someone on a camera that the temperature of your water is hot enough. Uh, it's just, wow. It was a wild, it was a wild experience, but um, I'm happy to be here. Wow. And I mean, obviously, it's it's paid off, not only making that positive impact, but obviously, people are liking it. You know, I saw that, you know, the restaurant was a James Beard finalist in the best new restaurant category last year. So, you know, there's there's good press around it, you know. So what has that consumer response been? Is it a lot of like, you know, do you have to spend a lot of time educating the consumers about like, oh, this is this way because, oh, it, you know, creates less waste and this is why we do this? Yeah, I mean, we I will say we are very fortunate. We, ha we don't have to do that too much. I mean, one of the main things we did in the beginning was we make sure we give the menu at the end of the meal. Uh, we didn't want a guest to come in and have like this idea of what they were going to get and then start saying, well, I don't eat this. I don't eat that. Like it just let them sit down and go for the ride. And we build that trust throughout the meal. And we tell the stories in a very soft, 
and with grace, like we just try to weave it in and out throughout the menu in a very honest and genuine way that we're not hitting them over the head with information or coming off like we're trying to be preachers or anything like that. We just want someone to know what we're about. Um, you know, we occasionally someone asks for lemon with water and we're like, I'm sorry, we don't we don't have that. There's no lemon trees growing around here. I apologize. Um, but that's that's one one for like a thousand, you know. Uh, we're very grateful for our our guest community that comes in. They're they're very supportive. I think majority of the people who make a reservation oyster already know what it's about. I mean, occasionally when parents come to visit their kids in college and this is night for mom and dad to pay for dinner, there's a little confusion what's going on with the meal. <laughs> but for the most part, we uh, it's gone very well and we haven't had to like worry too much about that. And with our little storytelling that we can do throughout the meal, I think a lot of guests leave with that. Uh, on note of that, the menu that we do drop at, finally at the end of the meal is made with recycled paper that's embedded with wild flower seeds. So once they're done with the menu, if they want, they can plant that in their yard and then grow pollinators and kind of keep the cycle going. And I think that's like our last message we send them out the door with is something positive that they can they can make change with themselves. Hmm, that's beautiful. I'm curious about the name, uh, which, you know, comes from oyster mushrooms and then also actual oysters, which you mentioned is the only animal on the menu. Why is that the case? Why is that the kind of the one exception here? Yeah, um, it's it's about place. Uh, we we wrestled with names for so long because we we were so focused on the mission, the project, what we wanted to do that. um you know, one of the main things we're here in the Chesapeake, uh, conservation of oysters is huge. Uh, restoring the bay is really big. Uh, it's the symbiotic nature of that, of building these, rebuilding these oyster reefs with so much life. Uh, they're like the great filters and recyclers of that. They also protect us from wave damage, from storms. It's, it's a huge part of where we are located and something that was like oversourced and fish for a long time. There's also information out there about oysters being more close to plants. They don't feel pain. They, they seed. They grow from one oyster on another oyster. They won't just grow on the ground. Like, you can't just throw an oyster seedling in the water. If it doesn't stick to another oyster shell, it's not going to grow. Um, but in the end of that, it symbolizes, you know, a healthy, healthy watershed, a healthy bay. And then the oyster mushroom, that symbolizes the healthy soil with the mycelium and, uh, you know, all the all the biology that's in the ground and the oyster itself, oyster mushroom itself is the fruit of a healthy environment as well. So those are kind of our little guiding lights. It's like our little logo that guides us through what we're doing. Um, and then one day my business partner called and said, what about oyster oyster? And it just was fun to say. And, and we were like, all right, let's go with it. So I love it. And, you know, what are some of your other favorite local seasonal ingredients to to work with in your area? Are there certain like seasons that you really look forward to because, you know, you're going to get, you know, fill in the blank? Yeah, no, right now. I mean, it's a great time to ask me that question because it's all coming through the door. Finally, you know, we have like pretty gray, mild winter this year. And it was all just, you know, like we we're talking about root vegetables. And now we have like the first peas and zucchini and some young tomatoes are coming through and it's all these exciting, bright flavors. And I think just the joy in the kitchen at that time of year is amazing because we see color and flavor and just piling through the door and the team and myself get so excited. Uh, absolutely love this time of year to be working with that. In the fall, I really love it because spice bush berry, which is also known as Appalachian allspice, 
grows here. It's a native plant. It grows these beautiful red berries that have like notes of citrus and kind of like a mild Szechuan peppercorn. And they're just in the obviously the allspice flavor. And we love to use those in our menu because we don't have things like cinnamon here and they really help elevate just our dishes. Um, and it's fun just to go forage these beautiful little red berries and pick them. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. We even took the branches from that and brewed a beer with a local brewery, Black Narrows, like in the winter and made like this beautiful citrusy spice saison that's going on tap this week. So it's really fun to work with these ingredients. So cool. You mentioned, you know, greenwashing is obviously, uh, you know, an issue, but also just, I guess, the trend of sustainability in general, you know, one could say is pushing everyone forward at least a little bit in the, you know, positive direction of where we want to go. But what's kind of your take on, you know, rethinking our food system, you know, broadly given, you know, restaurants and their, you know, unsustainability at the moment, like what can be done in, you know, we work a lot with like full service restaurant chains, um, report a lot about that. Like, what do you think can be done in that space? Yeah, that's a, it's a real interesting question. It's a lot to unpack, but we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it from the podcast here, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like there's a lot of things about modern agriculture that's really amazing how much people we can feed, but we know the problems with that, with monocropping, right? And I think it's, it's going to be an effort in, in science and old ways to figure out how to like make regenerative soil and figure out ways to really be able to feed the world still, but in a much more sustainable way. I don't have all the answers. I think if I did, I would not have to run my restaurant anymore. I'd be a very wealthy person, <laughs> but we're, we're working on it. And I think like with these large full service, like more chain restaurants and larger ones, I think, you know, take the approach, like there's, you know, like their sweet green, we'll say when they do, when they go to a new area, they look to lock up with farmers in that area to do what they do. Maybe their sauces are the same, et cetera, but they want to bring in some of that local, local agriculture to what they're doing. And I think rather than us working off of all monocrop giant farms, I think it'd be better if we were regional, you know, like really focus and support community farms that those farms can go into grocery stores and supply their community. And I think when we're, we're feeding ourselves and we're communicating with those people and we have relationships, then we want to take care of the soil because then that's the food we're eating too. And we're going to have that rapport to talk back and forth and, and really make stronger ecosystems amongst ourselves of producers, you know, of everything. I, I don't think we're just talking about food when we're, we're at that. I think it can really expand into something beautiful and it's, it's nothing new. It's the way they did it thousands of years ago, but we can, we can apply it now to this lovely modern society we have with the technology and, and information we have and the way we can now communicate like this right now, we're over a screen and we didn't have to travel to do this. Um, we can, we can mitigate these, these issues of like fuel use and stuff like that and still connect and talk through ideas. I think there's a lot of great, uh, let's say intersection of like technology and sustainability. And I think that's really what's going to push it forward so that we can connect one another, but use, the information we're learning to build better systems in each community around the United States. Hmm. Well, I think that's that's kind of a beautiful note to end on. Actually, I think you uh, you you wrapped it up perfectly for us. But you know, was there anything anything else, Rob? You wanted to to chat about? No, I'll, to get to. 
I'm just just do the right thing. That's all. <laughs> <Just do the laughs> Easy right enough. Thing. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well said. <laughs> no, I really appreciate your your time today, Rob. It was great chatting with you. And you know, if our readers are are curious, want to like find out more about Oyster Oyster or about you, can you kind of provide the best way to do so? Most people give you know like a, a website or an email address. Yeah. Um, yeah. Best website we're oysteroysterdc.com and if you follow us on our social on instagram we have oysteroysterdc and at rob rubo we're always posting about what we're doing and all the great things that are coming through and some funny little videos here and there too sweet well thanks so much again and thanks to everyone out there listening to the restaurant innovator stay tuned for more